0: Right. uh, Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the LSE. Um, Welcome to this Forum for European Philosophy Dialogue on Friendship. I'm Simon Glendening. I'm the director of the forum. And uh, I'm really delighted to uh, have here Mark (coughs) Vernon, whose uh, book, The Meaning of Friendship, will be available for you to buy outside. And you can come back if you go at the end of the talk. Um, you can get the book and bring it back here and Mark will be very happy to sign it Um, before that happens though we're going to have uh, some kind of conversation between Mark and myself and uh, covering in a general kind of way various kinds of friendships and ways in which friendship has been understood and thought in the culture which more or less is ours and and then there'll be an opportunity for you to, to, to make contributions and to ask questions in turn and then at the end you can go out and buy Mark's book and come back in and get him to sign it. Um, we've got a, a rather large list of things that we're going to try and get through. Um, I'm going to sort of be prompting Mark to tell us more on various uh, key topics in, 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 the, in the vicinity of friendship. Um, is there anybody here who doesn't have any friends? <laughs> so you should know something about what we're going to be talking about then. Um,
1: Socrates said he didn't have any friends. Did he? Yeah, oh, yeah. poor
0: Socrates. Um, but we're going to start uh, in the most sort of general and rather classical way uh, by considering um, what's sometimes called the typology or the varieties of friendship, And then once we've gone through the sort of... Um, classical array of different sorts we'll we'll look at um, a a few particular ones in more detail and also look at the cases which at least within the classical canon uh, don't seem to get counted as relationships that don't seem to get counted as friendships at all and we'll look at those and see why uh, they're excluded or have been excluded and whether they should be Um, we'll uh, Perhaps talk a little bit about Facebook and friends uh, of sorts that have take place there and and hopefully with after that something a little bit more substantial, a, a, what Mark I know thinks of as as a somewhat more spiritual dimension to friendship and then, having looked at that we 'll also turn towards the end at something that uh, has become prominent in recent years, probably since about uh, the early '90s when The French philosopher Jacques Derrida wrote a book called Politics of Friendship and tried to um, introduce this concept back into uh, discussions of political thought. We'll we'll probably um, finish up with some of that. But to start with then, um, Mark, who's a journalist and writer, (laughs) uh, a research fellow at Birkbeck, and uh, has degrees in physics and theology and philosophy. And uh, he was a former priest, um, he, uh, it sounds like I'm a priest now. If I
1: was a former priest, then. oh, yes, yes <laughs> you, you,
0: you, you, you are. So there's a, a slight anxiety about that when you say you a are a former priest. <laughs> and uh, um, uh, now uh, quite closely connected to something called the Idler Acad- Academy, which is a new project run by the Idler magazine. Uh, but as I say, particularly here tonight because of his book, The Meaning of Friendship. And Mark, we're going to kick off then. With the typology, something rather classical, perhaps, but perhaps you could take us through the the variety. Yeah. Well,
1: in a way, this is to highlight the first um, problem we're trying to talk about. Friendship is that people mean an enormous number of different things by this word "friend," and it's noticed by Aristotle um, when he writes about it um, in a way and setting an agenda that people still follow uh, right to this day. Um, You see see it a lot when there's people trying to do work on the sociology of friendship. And whenever you see, you know, in in the newspapers you need three friends or 12 friends or we only can have 150 friends or whatever, you need to immediately ask what's this word friendship, friends doing? Um, Because some people will say they only have a couple of friends and they're their best mates as it were. Others will talk about their gym instructor and their babysitter and whatever as friends. So it's very hard to pin down I think. And Aristotle begins there how hard it is to pin down. And he says, um, well, there must be at least a kind of mutual exchange of goodwill. Um, but that doesn't seem to get you very far because um, you know, that might happen in a lot of ways between human beings um, but friendship seems to be more particular than that and so he comes up with this typology um, which is sort of threefold um, uh, although two of the types of friendship kind of collapse into one and the first two that collapse into the one are friends that depend upon something else um, and it might be friendships that depend upon doing something together or friendships that depend upon enjoying something together so I guess the, a, a classic example for us now would be work friendships. Friendships that form because you work together. And they're very wonderful friendships. But if you've ever had such an experience, you may have noticed that your friend, as it were, leaves on a Friday, and by Monday, you've kind of almost forgotten them already. And then you remember them, you send a quick email, and say, the new job's going well. Or, um, but it fills us out very fast. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that you know, it needs something to, to, to go on, as it were. And similarly with friendships of pleasure. And the, the example that Aristotle gives here is uh, young love. He thinks that uh, the reason why young people are constantly uh, falling friends and then falling out is because um, they uh, have like a, a dozen different pleasures a day, as it were, um, and uh, as long as the, they 're showing these pleasures they 're best of friends. but the minute they decide they don 't want to collect marbles, they want to collect Pokemon cards or something, you know they, their friendships fall apart that 's not aristotle 's example but, um, and uh, uh, so there 's these doing friends and they 're very good uh, they 're absolutely necessary to make life human, but they 're they're, they're kind of fragile too because we change a lot, uh, and so he has his third type, um, which is in a way the quintessential type of friendship, um, and it's when you know and love someone for who they are in themselves. So he calls this character friendship or friendship of excellence, virtue friendship. Sometimes it's called, and this is when uh, you know somebody and they know you, or at least they know you enough, if you like, and you let them know you enough um, to know them for who they are in themselves, and then that can survive. Uh, the vicissitudes of, of life it doesn't, you will do stuff with this person but it doesn't matter if you're not you, know, you can sit on the sofa in silence and it's not uncomfortable whereas with a doing friend um, it will be difficult to do that
0: do all three of them have some character for him of utility or instrumentality or does instrumentality of that sort of the, the, the use for you of this friendship does that restricted to the first two and absent in the third
1: yeah I think you know I think that Instrumentality is not such a concern for him, really. Uh, I think he just assumes that um, you know what's good for your friend will be good for you, and vice versa. They didn't have this such a deep split um, between uh, you know what's egoism and altruism, you might say. Um, It was was, the assumption was that we need you know we're social animals, we're the political animal, as Aristotle famously puts it, Um, and. Um, they have this dual tense in ancient Greek. So, like two friends, well, if two eyes do the one thing, laugh, um, and two friends, sorry, see, <laughs> and two friends do the one thing, laugh. So, you use the dual tense in that in that case. Um, so, I just think uh, it, wa- it wasn't really uh, a question for him. Of course, uh, you know, having a good friend will be instrumentally valued, but he just wouldn't really. I don't think he really talks about that. Right. Well, maybe that's not quite the case, but you take the point. No, but so yeah. so,
0: so it's important then, in a certain way, that. All friendships, even even the lesser types for him, uh, you shouldn 't think of the friend as any part of the relationship as, as being simply in order to get something else for yourself yeah, yeah they, 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 so it does involve some kind of uh, um, finding something in the other worthy of your interest. In the best sort, yeah.
1: I mean, th- he does, in the Nicomedian ethics, he does go through various different kinds of relationship and ask, are they friendship? So, right. he, you know, he asks, can, can you know, you and I be friends with a king, for example, um, where there's massive inequality. Um, and so um, inequality leads to this problem that you'll probably want something from them and they may want something from you and all yeah. that. So there is, it, com- it comes in in that guise, actually, that's right, yeah. Um, and and he, and he asks can we be friends with the gods for example and he thinks that doesn't make any sense whatsoever Okay, let's just look inequality. at the first
0: two for a moment so we, because I think in a way the third one was, is in a way something we'll focus on um, in some more detail later uh, the first two um, do uh, somebody who I'm friends with depending on uh, enjoying something together uh, we do we both contingently enjoy this thing, and then find that we both enjoy it, and so then, as it were, our friend, friends in that dimension—is mm. that the—is that the thought? I think it's the exchange itself which is
1: leads to the feeling of friendship. Right. Uh, because he talks about how the exchange must be roughly kind of equal. If uh, if you get a lot more pleasure out of being me with me than I get out of being with you, then it's probably not going to last very long.
0: Right. I mean, the sort of thing I'm thinking of. There's an analogy sometimes used of. Uh, um, the first two kinds of friendship are as it were shoulder to shoulder, and the third one 's more face to face and uh, so as it were we 're digging a ditch together mm. and we we 're getting something of that joint participation in the in the doing mm. and that this uh, in some way the the relationship between us doing this is is important, but it 's very much shol- you know shoulder to shoulder rather than look yeah.
1: at each other but, well, that, that's, see that's a different thought for me now because um, Plato um, in the Phaedrus he contrasts um, lovers who do look each other in the eye um, and he argues that lovers have to become friends um, at least that's the kind of, it's told in the context of a myth so that's the kind of force of the myth I think um, and that, in a way that means turning from, from uh, staring each other in the eye to looking back at the world and all the possibilities of being human so friendship enables you to flourish mm-hmm. for Plato um, uh, which is a not unrelated but perhaps slightly different point um, it's, you know, it's, all, it's all done in the context that they're all eudynamistic, um ethicists, they're all virtue ethicists so it's all about what enables you to cultivate or flourish or nurture the best in what it is
0: to be human Okay. Um. But but the uh, it, the um, the first two, it's enjoying or uh, doing something together or enjoying something together. That's the, mm. that's those two. And now this interesting third kind. All those do all those things disappear, or are they inside this special relationship with where, where my interest is explicitly with the other, <coughs> with them in in their singularity rather than. Mm. Uh, as it were something that we enjoy doing together it's not, you don't,
1: it's not a solipsistic dyad um, it's about engaging with life I think so um, he talks about uh, f- as you might expect um, he thinks the best people to form the best kind of friendships are philosophers and, um, but the philosophers um, will as it were enable each other to be um, even more uh, devoted and um, sort of successful if you like uh, pursuers of wisdom um, so they're not, they're not interested just in each other, um, they are interested in the big, bigger project of life Right, put it that way
0: now uh, as I understand it, Aristotle will have also talked about friendships that are the most perfect of their kind, so in each of these three types there will be exemplary cases in each one can you, could you give a quick in, uh, illustration at least for the first two what would What would be the sort of thing that you might think of or is the most perfect of their kind for the first two
1: yeah i mean he, he I, I think he gives examples of the kind and then looks at their their foibles as it were, um, and then the third type is it can achieve a sort of or at least can hope to achieve a perfection in friendship right. which is um, he uses his phrase another self um, and um, in the third type um, this, this phrase, another self, it kind of resonates at different levels, I think. It can be taken in a rather literal way that the good friend is just another person. And that maybe contrasts it with eros, erotic love, which is a more possessive love, where you want, where you want to have and be had as a way you want to, to merge into one, um, which friendship doesn't want. It does want the person to be another self. Right. Um, but also, it's about reflection. So you see yourself in this other self too. So there's, there is a sense of joining. Um, but it's a, a, a different perhaps from Eros um, and uh, then also um, there is a sense of um, uh, as it were um, in, the, in as much as your life project becomes so intimately connected with this other friend um, is a where you move through life together um, so there's that the most deepest person where the, the idea that the, the another self becomes another part of who you are you know we, we're like this as it were we, we already we're already under each other's skins we're not billiard balls, which perhaps is a more modern model of things. Um, so this yeah. is a very,
0: very difficult, I think, part of the way of thinking about the virtue friendship or the the uh, third type. Yeah. Um, that you were saying it has to be both some sort of couple position, mm-hmm. but also one where each remains itself in that dimension. So it's not a fusion. Yeah. How, how would you explain Well, again, I think
1: it's a, it's a kind of difference between um, a,
0: a basic assumptions that,
1: um, you know, again, Aristotle is very, very clear that you can't hope to live a good human life unless you live in a good human society, too. So, um, whereas we perhaps feel that you can make a pretty good stab of being a good human being regardless of the society in which you live, um, that's just not really possible uh, for Aristotle. We are political animals, so um, there's always, it's more both and for him, um, that being a good friend is also about uh, being part of a wider society as well. Um, it's not uh, a disappearing act, as it were, a stepping back from from the world. Which perhaps you know we, we tend to feel that friendship should be a, is primarily a private activity in the modern world. Um, right. Whereas he thinks that it is a public activity.
0: Okay, let's 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 pause there and let's get them all into view again. And if you could, uh, because we're going to talk about examples of the. Third kind of friendship, this sort of highest kind of friendship. Um, just, just go through it again so that I'm clear about mm. it. Of the, 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 three types and an example for each one. Okay, so there's,
1: there's a uh, doing friendship. Friendships are formed because of what you do together and work friendship seems to be the most obvious example for us. It's not one of his, but uh, for us, there's um, friendships of pleasure, where you have some mutual exchange of pleasure. And he thinks that uh, that lovers share this kind of friendship. Right. as long as the love is good they'll be friends but the minute the love stops being you know, pleasurable they'll fall out big time um, and, uh, and then there's this soul mateship uh, friendship of excellence where you know and love someone for who they are and themselves um, they as it were well, have a beautiful enough character and you have a beautiful enough character in order to um, have someone that's truly lovely about you and they about them and then a friendship can form right. in that way too
0: now, what, just to so I'm clear on this, if 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 I really enjoy going to the cinema, and I find somebody else who really enjoys going to the cinema,
1: friendship we, of
0: pleasure, we will have a friendship of pleasure by going together. Yeah. Yeah, and do we have to talk about it afterwards, or? <laughs>
1: no, <laughs> well, it's it's it, that's very interesting. It's probably a very bad idea to talk about it afterwards because what you do by talking about it is that you're moving into territory the friendship feels anxious about, which is who you are and who I am. Right, it's we we can talk endlessly about the cinema or about football or. Kitchen units or whatever, um, but um, the minute you know you see someone uh, in in these kind of friendships, the minute you see them in a different context. I mean, again, work friendships are a really good example. That you spend perhaps eight hours, five days a week with a work friend, and you're perfectly <laughs> comfortable with them. You bump into them in IKEA on a Saturday morning, and you disappear into beds when they're in kitchens because you don't want to have to talk to them. Um, and so that's uh, you know you, that's why it's very difficult, in fact, to talk about friendship. I think right. I so think, it's, you know,
0: it's part of these. Uh, lesser forms is is the the dimensions of your life in which the friendship takes part are really quite constrained yeah. to to these areas.
1: That's both a strength and a weakness. Yeah. It's a strength because you don't have to reveal that much of yourself, you don't have to know yourself even very well, which is a big issue for Aristotle okay. in friendship. But you can still form perfectly good friendships. Okay,
0: so now I think we could all be reasonably familiar with those kinds of friendships that we have of, of, of work friends or friends that we go for a drink with or that sort of thing. Now we've got this third one, and we've got to focus on that a little bit. Uh, tell us again, what, what's the example that one might give of friends of the third kind? Well, we would call it, I guess, soulmates. Right. Um, and uh, it's when
1: um, you feel that you are known and loved by someone who knows and loves you. There's a transparency, if you like. Um, and um, In Aristotle, it's not just about um, you two as individuals, it's about your pursuit, and for him particularly as philosophers. um, And although he thinks politicians can have a fairly good stab at it, too, um, because if they're aimed at uh, bringing about the good society, um, because they've got a good project, as a word, to pursue as well. Wisdom is best, but
0: politics isn't bad. Now, already by saying that uh, for Aristotle, this kind of friendship is best it's going to take place best among philosophers, it's not going to take place for many of us. So there's an idea already of a, a sort of rarity mm. of, of this kind of friendship. Is, is, is the rarity of the example very important for that third species of friendship? I think it is and it isn't. I mean, just to say, that, of course, you know, to be a
1: philosopher wasn't to be signed up in a philosophy department at a university, of course. To be a philosopher was just to be um, someone who was in love with life, if you like, in the most general sense, and who's serious and committed towards life. So uh, many different people might uh, aspire and be able to be philosophers to some degree. Um, so I wouldn't want to... It's not such a tight category
0: that you either join or don't, um, for one thing. But, but the, 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 those who arrive... At finding that there is somebody in the world who is what you're calling this soulmate, and this is a position where there's uh, a love on one coming from one to the other of the other because of who they are and what how they pursue their yeah, life, yeah. and the same thing coming the other way. Yep. Is it reciprocal? Must be reciprocal. Yeah. Right. In, in in
1: Aristotle, Plato didn't think that was necessary, actually. But
0: right. Aristotle but in this does. in this virtue friendship yeah. or character yeah. friendship you have this reciprocity between are they equals? In the, this? the
1: exchange must be balanced out in some way. They needn't be equals strictly speaking like exactly the same person because that's just not going to happen. But there must be a, um, some kind of mutual exchange
0: that balances out as it were overall to put it crudely. And soulmates, uh, are we very, very lucky to find one? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, a, a person to cite here
1: um, is Montaigne, I guess, okay. who writes about friendship in his essay on friendship in a kind of Aristotelian sort of vein. And um, he, he's reflecting upon his friendship with Etienne Liberti, um who's died. And he says that the friendship which I have with him is so rare, it only happens once every three centuries. Right. Um, now, there's some idealisation going on there, no doubt. Um, but it does um, exp- say that th- this really... Meeting somebody and then meeting you is it's, it's a rare instance in life actually.
0: And are there are there I mean he, that you've given those two as an example That's yeah. Montaigne and who what's Etienne Lebert, I don't know how to pronounce it. Leberti. Right. I think it's with a And uh, the so that, there's an example. They, they become in a certain way uh, canonical. As exemplars of this rare kind of friendship, yeah, and there there's one. Are there, are there any other examples? Well, there, there were
1: kind of there were well there were well rehearsed examples in the ancient world. The reason I say hesitant is because it's not quite clear yeah. why they were so widely celebrated. So there were two friends, the statue to two friends. although I can't quite remember their name right now. Um, there were two friends who were, who's, whose statue was put up in the Agora in ancient Athens. And it was a very distinguished uh, statue to go up because um, it was the first time that uh, a non-deity was celebrated in a public place in, in, in Athens. And they were the tyrant slayers. They, they killed... Um, uh, a tyrant uh, before Athens became a democracy, and so they were celebrated in that way. And, and the, when the Persians invaded uh, Athens, they stole this statue. And one of the first things the Athenians did was vote for the statue to be replaced. So there was something there about this celebrated friendship to do with freedom and aspiration and so
2: on, as well.
0: Right. But so could, should could, should we uh, would would somebody who was uh, uh, following Montaigne on this rarity line? Uh, will, will writers on friendship sort of pick out across the centuries these very rare events of the, the meeting of the soulmates mm.
1: I think they're rare um, they're rare not in the sense that um, they literally only occur you know, once every three centuries they're rare in terms of it's an, it's an ex- existential rarity it feels rare to touch someone else and have them touch you in such a, a profound way yeah um, and maybe what happens is that you, Can you and just, So, they're, they're, so go, like just Jonathan and uh, <laughs> David in the Old Testament would be cases, or Ruth and Naomi in the, in the Old Testament, or, and, the, and the ancient Greeks have their um, ones they celebrate too, and um, there's, the me- there's medieval types, but they're not supposed to be if only we could be like them they're supposed to be read as, they exemplify in the myth a story for us which may become possible at moments in life.
0: Right, now you used the word touching there um, do, do friends touch each other um, uh, good point uh, I think <laughs> psychically most
1: certainly right um, whether or not they touch each other physically would be another question to discuss
0: right okay, well, maybe we'll come back to that and how well
1: maybe the better question would be how they touch each other because I guess friends do walk arm in arm quite naturally and so on, but where they touch each other in other parts <laughs> would be a question
0: okay now, one of the things that you said to me uh, what you just said uh, here was that uh, Montaigne was writing about his friendship when in a certain way it was over because his friend had died and I think that you think that somehow death and friendship are not sort of accidentally linked or at least some dimension of what a friend is expresses itself after the event yeah What's that?
1: Well, there's just a kind of empirical observation you can make that certainly amongst the men that have written about friendship, um, it seems often to happen when they're remembering the death of a friend. So Cicero, Augustine, Derrida, of course, uh, Montaigne. um, And um, it seems that what happens is that the loss of this relationship um, prompts the desire to, I guess, partly memorialize what's being lost. but, um, maybe also to idealize as well in the death
0: uh, one, one thing that strikes me about the death uh, event, as it were, is um, death is a very radical, radically singularizing event you cut no it, it's this person who's died it's not it's not like they've uh, with most things in our life there 's a sort of Rough substitutability. So, if I had in fact been too ill to talk to you tonight, which I nearly was, um, somebody else could have come and done it. Uh, however, had I died, um, yeah. nobody else could have gone and done that for me. And and so the the, the death event is is sort of um, always an individual event and so if what friendship is about is something very much bound up with this person and love for this person Mm. rather than as it were these other kinds of friendship where there's something rather opportunistic and certainly uh, replaceable so if Mm. me and you had for many years gone to the cinema together and had that pleasure friendship and you left to America I could easily find another person perhaps to, to, to do that with but in the character friendship or virtue friendship that you're talking about, something about the irreplaceability of the friend is absolutely central to it. Mm. And this makes the experience of death, of mourning the loss, uh, in a certain way, not just, um, I I don't know how you put it, it's uh, you said it was a sort of empirical link between the epitaph and the friend. I think it's a bit deeper than that. Mm, I think it runs into this fact that It's the loss of this irreplaceable one. Yeah,
1: I mean, a friend is not fungible. (laughs) Is that the technical word?
0: Um, uh, You know, you love a particular
1: person. And, um, you know, Montaigne writes enormously movingly about the death of his friend. And he says, you know, I feel like I'm living a half-life since he died. Um, And um, there is that sense of uh, something uh, very particular to him has gone. Um, And... um, In in Augustine, it causes a different anxiety because what happens for him is that uh, his friend dies when he's in his late teens, and he realizes that he had relied too much on this particular person. Um, He says, uh, "What a fool I was to love this friend as if they were God." Um, And so for him, it leads to he comes to believe that all relationships actually need to have a triangular form, form not a dyad form, and that the apex, as it were, to root really solid. Relationships needs to be in God um, Mm -hmm. Because of this uh, The fragility that is inherent In the particularity of friendship Now
0: that fragility isn't something That you're not aware of Before the event of death Right so um, If friendship was always About the singularity Of this other one And if that singularity Is as it were Has it's ultimate Uh uh, presentation as it were in their death their, their disappearance um, in a way the, the friendship will always be aware of its finite character and I, I think that might be interesting too that, that the relation to the friend you might say uh, I, I, I want to be with you forever but you could only ever say that to the friend knowing that you won't so there, there is a bit of um, uh, an experience of finitude, I think, inside the classical idea of the friend, this irreplaceable other, which is um, expressed or almost revealed in the epitaph, where you, you, the the relation is disclosed to you in this powerful way as this was my friend.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, there is that, but I guess that you know. If friendship is this discovery that you're not alone in the world, um, because you are touched and touch someone else, um, then maybe for uh, you know for at least a brief while you can be uh, you can forget the finitude of life, as it were, by the overcoming of the finitude of your own person. Um, you can be deluded for a period that you can overcome the finitude of life too. So maybe that's the, the abruptness of an actual death reminds you that death actually haunts life all the time. Right.
0: Okay. Now, so we've had run through three varieties and noted particularly the virtue friendship, character friendship as it's sometimes called too, and that this, this has this peculiar relation of the soulmates who are bound to each other with, through their interest in each other rather than through their shared interest in something else. Um, I'd like to ask first of all about that pair the virtue friends are they in love with each other do you think
1: yeah well I mean the the obvious comment to make to at least start an answer to that question is uh, that the Greeks have different words for love which we don't Um, so normally speaking philia is the word that's used to denote a friendship kind of love Um, whereas eros would be this more possessive sense of lack and desire um, for what you lack and so well, I okay,
0: but it, it, if this soulmate, as it were, does it make, in friendship, does it make me whole, or, or is that exclusively the, yeah. uh, the, the one who I meet in I an erotic, it, I, yeah, I in I mean, an eros?
1: I don't know if it making you whole would be the right sense, but it's certainly, um, it's the best state in which to be human. Uh, it's not so much that it's not complementary. I don't think it's more right. like
0: you can become all that you might be with this other person. It, it makes it possible for me to be me. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So again, we should think of the the friend relation as, in a way, singularizing each one rather than a union.
1: Yeah, but together it's got to be together. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Right. The the <laughs> uh, the, sing- the, the two. Together, yeah, um, but in, yeah. the, in, in each one singularity rather than some melding and merging of the two.
1: Yeah, I think into, so. Into yeah. I think that's fair enough.
0: Okay, so. Uh, but so it, but the,
1: I mean, in a way, that this, I say, you know, I say Philia's friendship and Eros is erotic love. That's not quite cu- true because Philia can be used in quite an erotic sense. And Eros, you know, when Homer has his heroes walk out onto the battlefield full of Eros, so that's something different again. You know, so these, these distinctions are. Um, they're not very neat actually so, um, and I think that's because you know, life is not very neat there's a truth in that in itself um, so um, one can sort of tease things apart but they're a bit like putting apart an elastic band they're quite likely to twang back together again too
0: Right, but if you thought of a perfect loving couple you might think of some kind of spiritual union of the two whereas in, the t- in a sort of two become one idea whereas in the friendship one I think you want to hold on to a certain distance yeah well
1: I think I think it's a triangularity certainly in Plato there is and I think it's true in Aristotle actually they're not so dis- different as people sometimes say that see the, the um, think of something like Plato's ascent in the symposium um, it's Eros that propels you up the ascent to uh, you know, this, the famous bit at the end of the symposium where um, love, as it were, is promiscuous. And so you, you first of all fall in love with someone else, and then you realize that life is rather lovely, and then you fall in love with mathematics, if you're Plato, um, and aesthetic love, and so on. So you kind of go up this ascent. But I, I think in the, in, the, in the ascent, you do it with, um, with a friend. Uh, this, this is a bit contentious if there are Plato scholars in the audience, I know it's better than me but I, some, it's, it's been very well made by bona fide Plato scholars that you do it with someone else and then together as it were you have the beatific vision and similarly in Aristotle he talks about how at the end of the Nicomean Ethics right after his discussion on, on friendship he says you know though we're mortals we should strive for the immortal within us and you get a strong sense I think that we're supposed to do that together with friendships and friendships are part and parcel of that desire to glimpse the infinite To to glimpse the beautiful, Um, so um, it's not spiritual. It's not fulfilment in the other. It's fulfilment in terms of what it is to be
0: human. Okay, good. So, one one kind of relationship, though, that we might at least uh, hold to one side of friendship would be uh, the the kind of distinction that the Greeks had between eros and philia. And and think that we we shouldn't think friendship through the model simply of the uh, the union of a couple. Okay. Now there's another. <coughs> you can tell he's a Derrida scholar, can't you? <laughs> there's a, oh, I don't know. Uh, there's another. Uh, um, uh, effort at isolation that I want to uh, pick up on now, which indeed I'm just now going to read something by Derrida because he puts it fairly clearly unusually. Um, What he calls uh, the double exclusion. The double exclusion that can be seen to be at work in all the great philosophical discourses on friendship. Namely, on the one hand, the exclusion of friendship between women, and, on the other hand, the exclusion of friendship between a man and a woman. This double exclusion of the feminine in the philosophical paradigm of friendship would thus confer on it the essential and essentially sublime figure of virile, that means manly, homosexuality. Within the familial schema, whose necessity he'd mentioned earlier, this exclusion privileges the figure of the brother, the name of the brother, Or or, or, uh, more than of the father, for example. And he cites Montaigne here on his friendship with Laboet. In truth, the name of brother is a beautiful and delectable one, and for this reason, we made it, he and I, our alliance. So, the double exclusion, then, which I want to sort of think about for a minute, it, it could be something that has just completely disappeared from our experience of friendship. But, nevertheless, there it is in in our culture in these examples of the every 300 years or so uh, um, uh, paradigms of of the figure of the the friends it's two men and uh, in these classical discourses in philosophy um, it doesn't seem to be possible in some way for there to be friendship between two women or friendship between a man and a woman now, is this just, as it were, a fact of ancient history or or is there something interesting to be said about this?
1: I think Plato actually thought there could be friendship between two women and between a man and a woman, because um, he has philosopher kings as well as philosopher queens. Sorry, he has philosopher queens as well as philosopher kings. <laughs> yeah. um, and. Um, uh, if, or God, if, if, any if love of wisdom—I know philosopher queens as well—and mm. uh, if, if wisdom uh, is, uh, you know, what it's about, as it were, then he opens that up. But I guess he's a bit ahead of his time in his in many, many ways. Um, and uh, but I think what's also going on there in Derrida's remark is a difference between how we view the sexes. And um, my understanding is that uh, in the ancient world, um, the weren't, men weren't radically different from women, as. You know, we kind of tend to feel in the modern world. It's not Mars and Venus in the ancient world. It's just that, on the whole, women are not quite well-cooked men. So in Aristotle's... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's very offensive, but there's a kind of plus side to it, which I'll come to in a minute, um, that uh, you know, in Aristotle's gynecology, um, uh, if there's enough heat in the womb, you get a man, a boy, coming out. If not, then you get a sort of soft woman. And um, so this means that um, it's just more likely because of this business, this emphasis within this frame of um, needing to be, as it were, um, an excellent sort of human being, um, it's just more likely to happen between men in Aristotle's view. But that's not to exclude, actually, the possibility that uh, um, a woman might be a pretty good example of a human being too, Um, that we're all human beings, if you like. Um, And so I think that there's there's that going on um, in... In the ancient world, rather than um, I don't think I mean maybe more context in Derrida's would Derrida's remark there would uh, would help, but um, it's not like there's an ontological divide between man and woman. It's just uh, it's a a question of degree um, in the ancient world. Whereas I think in the modern world there is this problem about how men might be very radically different from women, Um, and so whilst you know we may have lots of examples of female friendship, lots of examples of male friendship. our problem is how men and women could be friends.
0: Right. Let, let's let's assume that that's roughly right. That in in the classical conception, sex difference was thought of not as as it were as an ontological difference, so it's a, a completely different kind of being, um, but rather a, a a difference of degree on some kind of order. Mm. <laughs> um, So they, if they're saying uh, friendship isn't possible between women, then they are thinking of uh, friendship as as a sort of highest achievement of what humans can achieve with respect to a relationship with another person. I don't
1: think they're thinking friendship wasn't possible between women. Right. Um, The the soulmateship within this schema might be um, more likely to happen between men because of this business of virtue and excellence and so on. Um, but, you know, like there can be doing friends and pleasure friends, women can have that.
0: Right. No, you yes. See, you no,
1: don't, don't, don't get offended. It's just what I'm saying. I'm sort of talking in, the, in that world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, we are
0: talking in that world. They won't be offended. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> be offended in the right way, yeah, be <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, yeah. My well, uh, my understanding was that the uh, virtue friendship was exclusively a male preserve in the classical representation.
1: I don't think so. Plato right. is very clear about this. It's not. Okay. okay. Um, people forget that he had philosopher queens. You know.
0: Yeah, but I, I, okay, right. Um, they could know the good too. But in in the canonical writings you don't get a lot of (laughs) examples maybe maybe well I think maybe there's
1: a question about death going on here I mean there's there's been uh, you know in the the last 200 years a lot of women have written about friendship and quite often this theme of death comes up and how um, that's this is it seems to be uh, a particularly a sort of male anxiety um, maybe a phallic anxiety or something like that death Mm. and um, Women's, so, well, a lot of the, um, the writing about friendship between women is written in a political context. So, for example, the suffragettes um, wrote about friendship between women as enabling and empowering for them. And they could imagine a world they wanted to live in together, um, as it were, in private, and then try to devise strategies to bring it about in public. Um, so um, because the, I, I, the, the, yeah. the reason to write about friendship uh, may be different between men and women.
0: I was very struck reading uh, a novel by Mark Twain recently, which was written in the 1880s. And uh, towards the end, of it's called um, A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, and it's mainly set in King Arthur's time, but a little bit of it in in the 1880s. And he says of his relationship with his wife this, People talk about beautiful friendships between two persons of the same sex, uh, although you are contradicting me on this, I do think <laughs> that the European Western canon on friendship generally does talk about friendship between persons of the same sex, sex and typically two men. But anyway, I'll let you have whatever you want on that. What is the best of that sort? That's, he's saying, what is the best of that sort? But friendships between two persons of the same sex. What is the best of that sort? as compared with the friendship of man and wife, where the best impulses and the highest ideals of both are the same. There is no place for comparison between the two friendships. The one is earthly, the other divine. And this very first text I could find, actually, where this relationship between men and women, now this is man and wife, which is obviously already a sort of distinctive way of... uh, contextualizing that relationship but here, here you have uh, an example of the relationship between a man and a woman being represented not only as a possible friendship but as the very highest kind and I wonder if, if you think that well perhaps you won't given that you didn't really weren't very interested in the thought that it was mainly between men in the past but do you think that there's anything to be said to, for the thought that we do move into a new world where this sort of relationship be- can become a paradigm
1: mm. again there's probably a whole lot happening in that quote but one thought that co- occurs to me is a change into the modern period and I think what happens in the modern period is that friendship becomes a private relationship uh-huh. um, and whereas marriage of course is a publicly sanctioned relationship and this is different in the modern world because in the medieval world certainly there's been a lot of work done on uh, the history of friendship recently um, and um, Two men and two women, sometimes two, um, could, form a, uh, could make a promise to each other and they could make it under God and that then carried social weight. So it was marriage-like. Um, but because in the modern period you can't make a promise under God that carries social weight, um, it's just a private, as it were, um, exchange between the two of you, um, you have to make it under the law. And the only relationship that the law sanctions is marriage. So then you get big idealisation of marriage um, and partly marriage as it were has to scoop up into it um, all, the, um, all that you hope for in perhaps a much more diverse range of, of relationships in the pre-modern world right. and in particular you hope to become a friend with your partner in marriage which perhaps would have been a quite a strange idea to most of human history
0: Good, okay so we have um, uh, the love relations set apart very often uh, I would say also this double exclusion rather typically in, in the history of discourses on friendship into the modern period where perhaps, uh, interestingly, uh, friendships between men and women seem to be adverted to for the first time uh, in, in what's sometimes seen as the uh, movement of democratisation in, in the modern world. Um, but there are other excluded categories that I think are worth touching on. Um, the first is uh, animals, can there be friendship between a human being and a non-human being, living thing?
1: Mm. Well, I think about this a lot because I have cats and um, on a good day I feel like I have quite a friendship with my cats. They're very interactive, my cats. They come and say hello and they fetch sticks and they know their name and things like this. And, but then they bring in a rat and this animal is, you know, the rat is squealing and they seem to have absolutely no capacity for empathy. Um, and i decide that um i'm not friends with them after all um and i think you know montaigne reflects on this uh about you know when i'm playing with my cat is my cat playing with me and it's kind of left hanging he's not quite sure um and um, is
0: that because there's a a moment of asymmetry in this relationship where the other remains however singular in some respect uh opaque in a in a profound mm. way is this
1: yeah yeah um, I guess in, this, in the but way You did that say that
0: there's a sort of level of transparency between yeah, the yeah. friends needed
1: um, I mean in the way that um, you approach another human being you know, to, in Wittgenstein's phrase as a soul um, rather than as an object in the world yeah. um, maybe with animals that becomes more complicated and confused, it's not quite so clear that you're approaching them in that way that you do another human being and we, 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 we want to blur the line now I think in a way that perhaps Montaigne wouldn't have wanted to do, um, but it's it's not straightforward. I think friendship with animals, even with higher animals, um, that, you know, there's, there'll be all sorts of dependencies. Um, for example, in relation to your pets, um, and, I mean, just, just to and you'll do things like you'll put your pets down. You wouldn't put your friends down um, if they were suffering. Well, it's more maybe you will well, be able maybe to, maybe to soon actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe. Yeah.
0: Uh, but if, if opacity or asymmetry is thought to be an obstacle to friendship the contemporary conception of an ontological difference between the sexes so mars and venus as it were and the other sex being in a certain way another country would invite a sense that that relationship will always fall short of what aristotle would call the best examples of that kind if if you thought through those categories but maybe Maybe uh, we don't really believe that ontologically, ontological story of, of, of complete difference. Yeah, life.
1: well, I mean, I, I just wonder whether friendship isn't quite so sexy <laughs> as it was for the ancients. It, you know, Aristotle writes a book on ethics, How to Live, and a fifth of it is about friendship. You pick up a book on ethics today, and you'll be lucky if you find a reference to friendship, let alone a discussion of it. Um, what we're fascinated by now, um, in terms of relationships, is. Romance um, is marriage, um, and um, I think that you know uh, we all, as it were, live under this romantic myth that, uh, um, which is in Plato. You know, it's uh, Aristophanes' myth in Plato: the idea that there's someone out there um, who will complete us, our lost half, the person we need is to become whole again. And that's become so enormous in the modern world that uh, friendship just gets kind of squeezed out. I think.
0: Right, well we'll hold hold off from that. The next next category of the sometimes thought to be excluded case, (laughs) uh, so you have the women cases, the animal cases, the other one that perhaps is uh, less controversial is the enemy. Um, Can the enemy somehow be my friend?
1: Well, this brings us on to Nietzsche. Um, who wrote very nicely about friendship in his middle period um, the gay science and human all too human um, and daybreak and he thinks actually that your enemy can be your best friend um, because um, it's to do with this business of how difficult it is to know yourself in Nietzsche I think um, he has a very nice uh, analogy of what it is to be human where he talks about um, where as it were like um, turrets you know if you think of the castle piece in chess he has this nice bit in I think the gay science where he talks about it might be human or too human, and i say that. But anyway, one of those books where he talks about... Um, uh, he imagines a sort of field full of these turrets, as if they're humans. And inside is like a little sort of homunculus kind of running up and down. And often it's in the scary dungeon. Sometimes it sees the sky, but mostly it's looking out of the slits. And as it looks out of the slits, it sees lots of other castle pieces moving around. And there's a desire to reach out um, and touch. as were well, the hand of someone else. Um, and... Um, he just thinks it's so hard um, to, um, as it were, the thing about the, the turret is that it both protects you, but it also imprisons you. And this is such a, a difficult uh, a conundrum to overcome for we human beings. that Sometimes it's only the enemy who actually fires, as it were, a bullet at you and breaks down the castle wall that actually frees you. It feels like an attack, but it's actually a liberation so, uh, to put it more, uh, you know, less kind of poetically, um, you know, sometimes you, you might have an encounter with someone who's completely different from you. Um, you haven't a slice idea what you've got in common, but they say something to you that stays with you for the rest of your life. Or the person who you couldn't bear to be with at the time, 10 years on or something, you think, you know, they were telling me exactly what I needed to hear at that moment.
0: Right, there's a, there's a film called, I think it's called Gangs of New York, where uh, these rivals, you can see that there's this incredible uh, respect across this enemy relationship. That there's something like a worthy enemy. That, And I think, I'm sure this would be something Nietzsche would be interested in too, there'd be absolutely no point, for example, in playing a game of tennis with somebody who you just beat all the time and were utterly useless. I mean, what would be the point in, in that kind of uh, competition? Yeah. But no, the one where you're up against the one who could really destroy you. Mm. That's the, the one that would be charged with some kind of intensity. And this can get somehow connected with the friend idea because of the friends having to remain, as I've been trying to say, these two singularities rather than a union yeah, bet- yeah. between them. And so some people talk about frenemies as this, yeah, as this yeah. variation.
1: Well, another, another, just another analogy that, uh, that Nietzsche has, which is kind of fun too, he, he thinks there are two types of friendships. He calls them ladder friends and circle friends. Um, and circle friends are the kind of people that just collect friends, kind of willy-nilly, and they're the life and soul of the party. And they, if you ask them, they'd say, I once was in a debate with a socialite, Carol Stone, and she said she had 25,000 friends. She definitely is a circle friendship. Um, but uh, Nietzsche, I think, thought that ladder friends were better. And these are the people that kind of, as well, help you climb the ladder of life and sometimes your ladders will be alongside each other and you'll be inspiring um, that kind of mutual competition which will encourage you to to reach for the next rung. But inevitably your ladders will, as it were, veer apart too Um, and so um, you might even become enemies. You might even have to force your ladder apart from them in order to be able to to pursue your path in Nietzsche. And I think this is perhaps a reflection on his famous friendship with Wagner. and one way of reading what happened between them when they fell out is that Nietzsche, at some level, knew he had to move away from Wagner's shadow if he was going to become a person himself. For, for a while, Wagner really inspired him, but then he knew he had to move away in order to pursue, to climb his own ladder, if you like.
0: We've just got a couple of minutes. I'd like to invite you to uh, reflect on two further types now, uh, perhaps at extremes. Um, one is the, uh, the Facebook friend and in what way, and if at all, that name is deserved. <laughs> uh, and, and the, as it were, the opposite one, which, which I don't know exactly how you put it, but I know that you will want to talk about uh, what you call a spiritual dimension to the, to the true friend. So
1: yeah, well, the, I mean, the Facebook friendship is... Uh, I think that people know that Facebook friends aren't really friends, if you like, or at least, you know, if you have a real friendship, with someone and your Facebook friends with them, it's the real friendship that counts, not the friendship online. Um, it's whether friendship online is a reflection or a way of um, keeping alive virtually the real friendship. Um, and um, you know that's why people there's all these neologism, neologisms like uh, you know defriending and unfriending and just friending rather than befriending. Um, I think that's a recognition that, that there's something else going on online. Um, that that would be the comment there. Um, on the spirituality of friendship um, I think that in, in Plato the reason why friendship is so important for Plato and for Socrates presumably um, is that um, if uh, with a friend as it were you're able to have the fullest um, experience of what it is to be human um, and it's not just a sort of you know, helping each other along the way there's something about the encounter that opens up new possibilities um, I think this is the way this often happens uh, uh, in Plato with Socrates is that um, it creates this um, sense of the in-between nature of what it is to be human. And what he means by that um, is how we're not um, just sort of purely ignorant, um, like uh, you know many animals might be ignorant in the sense that they just get on with their life, they don't reflect about their life. Um, whereas um, the gods, conversely, um, aren't ignorant. They kind of see it all clearly face to face. Um, Whereas we human beings are somewhere in between. We're sort of, we're both, we're ignorant about many things, but we can become conscious of that ignorance. Um, And this is both the source of uh, our genius, if you like. It it, it fires the love that wants more, um, that wants to be creative, wants to make beautiful things. Um, But it it can also be the seed of our destruction because it can uh, lead us, uh, you know, to, to fury and Frustrations and anger and envy, and all these kind of things. So, it can undo you as well as make you this in between status. So, friendship, so just to complete the thought, the wonderful thing about friendship is that it nurtures you in the more creative side, uh, in, at least that's the hope for Socrates, um, rather than the destructive side.
0: But for you, if there, if, if, if there is a, a, a certain spiritual dimension here, is, is this something that uh, you can cultivate? or is it something that just happens to you? Are you lucky if you find mm. it, or uh, are you a fool if you've failed? Yeah, I think Emerson, a great platonist, of course, had a, a, a line on
1: this, which is, if you want to have a friend, be a friend. Uh-huh. Um, and it's, he's very against this instrumentalization of friendship, which you see so much today. You know, every time there's a discussion about friendship, it's how many friends you need to have and all that. That's a, a recipe for disaster in friendship, I think. Um, the minute... Uh, um, this is very, there's a very nuanced and subtle distinction That's one everyone knows Between being useful to a friend And feeling used by a friend um, Everyone wants to be useful to their friends But the minute you start to feel used The friendship's kind of on the way out um, So um, I think that uh, um, uh, It's not so much that you As it were I need to have a friend in order to have a good life um, You cultivate virtues And then friendship will follow okay. You work on yourself And friendship will follow as it were rather than the other way around.
0: Great. Okay. Now we've got some time, 25 minutes, for uh, some questions and contributions. Have we got microphones? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, if you put your hand up, that will know, show me that you want to say something. But then you've got to wait until the mic gets you. So, uh, there's one right down here. Thank you.
3: Thank you. A few random questions. Maybe not connected, but perhaps you will connect them. (coughs) One is um, you cited Nietzsche for um, you cited uh, Nietzsche for the notion that the enemy may actually be a potential best friend because it shows you the true self. Do you have any notion of connecting that to, I guess, what is now the common theory of nationalism, which is that it arrives via uh, opposition with another um, maybe you need the other in order to know yourself. Uh, maybe maybe that, maybe the, your, your notion of civic friendship is that connection. Uh, another interesting idea you you raise is the notion of um, the erotic versus the uh, the filial friendship, and the notion of absence. Um, a lot of a lot of love affairs could be enhanced, could maybe even need a certain degree of absence. It, the absence is, uh, you know, it makes it a hardcore so to speak. But friendship doesn't necessarily benefit from that, um, except in the notion of the death as a singularity that ends it. Now, maybe the, that's the third question. The connection of death as that moment when you can no longer judge further actions because until you die, according to some ancients, you can't really judge a life. And, of course, many friends disappoint us later on in their friendship. But once you die, there's no more bad things that can happen with the. Future. Okay,
0: thank you.
1: Yeah, I mean, in uh, the ratings, the, 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 the first question, and um, the person who's big on this, I think, is Karl Schmitt, political philosopher Karl Schmitt, who writes uh, about nationalism in this way. I understand. I'm afraid I don't know Schmitt really, um, but I understand that um, it's very much. It's, it, I think you might know this better than me, Simon. Actually, I should have a
0: lecture but, on it today.
1: All <laughs> oh, right. Well, there we are. But <laughs> <laughs> that's something like that, isn't it?
0: Well, I mean, the, 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 what, what's distinctive about Carl Schmitt, and actually it's something that we didn't um, get onto, is an idea of the politics of friendship. And uh, Schmitt, writing in the 1920s, was trying to say, what is, the, what is in any relation that you have with somebody, what, what characterises the political relation? And uh, he said the political relation is characterised by the friend-enemy distinction. And so you have your friend or friends, and uh, you exist in a community of friends, but that community isn't a political community, except in its relation to some other with whom the possibility of going to war is an actual possibility, a live possibility for you. And so he, he draws the relationship between friendship, political friendship, political community, and uh, enmity, or hostility, in fact, uh, very very tightly. Okay. On, I mean, on yep. the
1: absence question, I mean, it's a bit of a... I, mean, I thought the phrase, you know, party makes the heart grow fonder. In erotic love, there is this tension, isn't it, between being apart and wanting to be together. And, uh, um, whereas I think that in friendship, being apart just doesn't seem to matter so much. You're very happy to be apart from your friend for a day or a week or a month, or whatever, or you might have this experience of reconnecting after you know years and feeling you pick up where you left off. Whereas in a, you know, if, if lovers said they didn't mind being apart for years on end, Um, You think there was something wrong, and I think it's something about this possessive quality of erotic love. Whereas in friendship, you want your friend to be the best that they can be, singularly as well as with you, as it were.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yep. Just there.
3: Uh, Hi. You mentioned that um, pleasure or doing uh, things which you enjoy, like common interests, could be the basis of a friendship. What about common suffering?
0: Ah, great -hmm.
1: question. question. Well, I mean, I'm uh, my uh, former priest bit comes in here, of course, with the uh, John's Gospel, and uh, um, uh, you know, greater love hath no one than that they may die they die for their friend. And um, I think uh, the, the, the biblical scholars might say that um, uh, an early word for um, Christians before they were called Christians, and maybe this is what John's Gospel's picking up on, is they were known as friends, um, and it's because they were prepared to die for each other, um, and so. Um, this then becomes a reflection on the relationship between the disciples and Jesus. Um, and um, that would seem to, I think, to be the, um, an obvious way to go with that kind of question. Um, with, with Aristotle, um, I'm running through my mind. I can't think. Uh,
0: I'll tell you why he doesn't have it, actually. I mean, there, or at least yeah. there's, a, there's a plausible hypothesis, which is, is that there is a transition in the canonical discourses on friendship from the Greek into the Christian period in Europe from uh, a discourse dominated by the idea of friendship as a relationship between equals. So it's a symmetrical relationship uh, where um, uh, you're, in a way, standing outside it. I've kept on holding up the two fingers as it were for each of the friends which means that I'm not inside the relationship in a way and the Greek experience of friendship in a certain sense is of, the, of, of equals um, but the, what's sometimes called the, the, the developing Christian sense of friendship is asymmetrical inequality where the friend is the other one who I can't do enough for I can never do enough I've never done enough and I think that idea that uh, overcoming that loss, f- that that I'm fa- my failure, is an important part in, in, in that. I'm not sure if it, how tuned into suffering it is, but it's certainly an original moment in that relationship of friends.
1: That's interesting. I mean, you need to think about it, because I think, I mean, I, I think you might say that in Christianity, there's two strands of thinking about friendship, one's the more Augustinian which may be more like that because he has this, in chapter 4 of the Confessions where he t- talks about the death of his friend and there's perhaps echoes of failure in that, but of course Thomas Aquinas writes a lot about friendship because he was a good Aristotelian and yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of different there I think yeah.
0: Okay, yeah, there's one down in the front here, thank you
4: I just want to recount to you um, a conversation I had with um, a mute, not a very close friend, but a friend who was telling me about a third person whom I'd heard of. And it was rather disconcerting because she said she'd been to a party with this person, very um, um, rather wealthy and had lots and lots of people there. And then she said about this person, she likes to collect people implying that her friends were there who um, she was showing on them off and she wanted to accumulate a lot of friends in a way like, the, I suppose, like the Facebook people. You know, I've got 5,000 friends, whatever it is. They Obviously, they're not real friends at all. But um, it was a disconcerting thought. I hadn't thought about somebody like that who likes to entertain a good hostess, wants to introduce people to each other. Not the Carol Stone stuff. I know Carol Stone, you mentioned her, but she, she makes a business of it. But um, people who like to... Um, just to be sociable and to make contacts with people in order to introduce them to other friends. It's a bit of showing off, but surely it's also being a nice person and just wanting to be in touch with other people. And I was rather upset that this person was being criticised uh, because, you know, to say to somebody... About someone that they collect people it 's a bit um, uh, I think a bit cruel what do you think
1: yeah well, I mean without putting them on the couch as it were <laughs> working out what their motives really are, um, I think that uh, there is a tension here though maybe it 's a reflection of this tension between being wanting to be useful to a friend but not wanting to be used by a friend and that 's what you know these kind of uh, networking sort of dices quite closely with that uh, difference and if it falls one way then it's okay you don't mind being part of being networked (laughs) but if it falls the other then you feel rather abused even Um, and uh, I mean the the phrase um, there's someone who collects friends um, that feels much more on the instrumental side and maybe even on a narcissistic level you know there's, there's an emptiness that you feel when you hear that about someone that they, as it were, need as many people as possible to fill up an empty- emptiness inside. Um, something like that going on. So that's why it feels quite a stark
0: remark to make about somebody. Yeah, There's one down here. Yep, there's a, it's coming from over behind you.
4: I wanted to mention three things. Firstly, the Quakers, who call themselves friends. I don't know why. Secondly, there's more and more only children. And the need for friendship becomes more, instead of having siblings, you cultivate friendships. And thirdly, recently it was said that the vast majority of people, over 70, I think, in this country, are lonely all the time, or most of the time, which I find absolutely shocking. And presumably, they don't have enough friends.
1: Well, I mean, there are three huge questions. Um, Are you a Quaker?
3: All
1: right. Um, I'm not, I'm not actually very sure why the Quakers are called the Society of Friends, uh, what, what, where that arose from. Uh, was it persecution? Uh, was, it, was that how it arose originally? That, that may be my guess, but... Um, <laughs> I'm not quite sure why... why. Apparently not. Um, anyway, I mean, the, the question about only children and so on, um, and loneliness in the modern world. I mean, there's many, many ways you could answer this, I guess. But one thing which I think is related um, is... Is, is about the nature of time in the modern world. And um, there's a distinction which some have made between structured time and unstructured time. And the idea is that structured time is time which is designed for doing things. Um, you know, so you have an hour to have lunch, you have eight hours to get the report done, um, you have an hour to watch, te- even our leisure time is sort of structured in a strange sort of way these days um, in the evening. And that's, that's good. You can make lots of doing friends in that context because uh, you're doing something, even if it's just you know, getting fed. Um, but, um, but really close friendship I think requires unstructured time It requires a time that's not for anything It's just hanging out um, Because then you can actually, as it were, attend to who you are and who they are um, Without the pressure of doing something else And maybe part of this uh, problem with loneliness in the modern world Is that we just don't have enough unstructured time We don't hang out really And even when we think we're hanging out We're kind of doing it you know, before 10, before the babysitter has to go home And you know, Our life is very, very structured that's that's just one way of asking, you know, throwing out something in response to big big issues which you raise, which are very pressing. I'm sure. Yeah.
0: Thank you. Yeah, one here, and then one
2: there. Uh, <clears throat> just adding on to your point about you know the unstructured time, would you say you know with the advance of technology, namely telephone, internet, and mobile phone, you know the, did you say those technologies diluted the quality of friendship? Diluting. Yeah,
0: that's a great question. Mm. And we, we touched on the Facebook, f- mm. the fact that these friends aren't really friends. But are they also people who going to stop you feeling lonely? Well,
1: um, there was a, a, a the best sociologist on friendship, I think, uh, um, was a, is a chap called well, was a chap called Ray Parr. He actually died last year. Ray did, and he did a lot of work um, on this. And he tried particularly to overcome this problem about how people. Um, use the word friend you know, so to, you, it's very hard to make comparisons in a statistical way because people use friendship differently but he, he sort of achieved something in this area and he did a lot of work actually on how people use devices, mobile devices in the context of their friendships and he thought that we're actually pretty smart about it, that you can use the same mobile devices as were both to keep someone distant and to keep someone close um, so he looked at the way people use Blackberries and um, the the friends that sort of text each other and say, "You never guess what happened," um, when they're apart um, is a way of keeping someone close. But conversely, um, when you get the, the email from someone and you think, "I can't, I won't answer it right now; it'll wait till tomorrow," it's a way of keeping people distant too. Um, so he thought, I guess that they're new technologies, so there's a kind of art that we have to learn in using them, and maybe we often get it wrong at this stage. Um, but he, I think, he was quite sanguine about well, how. Let's,
0: let's pre- press you on this a little bit because I mean, the one thing that you can do with. Um mobile devices or telephones or these things, or email, is uh, have communication, apparently anyway, communication with somebody. And uh, how much difference does it ultimately make whether they're in the same room as you communicating in this soul-to-soul way? And and does it matter if they're a 100 miles away, but they're you're skyping with them or you've got a phone call from them or you're writing emails to each other if what's really happening can be some kind of communication between you? Personally I think that
1: we're embodied creatures and the best way to be with someone is to be physically with them uh, I think uh, it, as discursive
0: so, creatures, though, as well. The, the but, uh, but I
1: think we communicate even when we're exchanging words. There's all sorts of other communications going on. Um, now, when you're apart, as it were, you uh, draw down on that embodied presence to one another. But maybe it's like a battery that you charge up when you're physically together, and you draw down on it. And for a while, it's going to be fine to stay in touch by email. Um, but after a while, um, you're going to need you're going to want to see them again, I think, because you need, as it were, to um, to have a full experience. Um, of, of, of the exchange of the friendship. Um, so, uh, you know, people that perhaps feel they can, you know, move to a different continent for work and sustain the friendship, that may well work for a while, but after a while I think they're going to want to see their friend again.
0: Okay, so and so you would, I'd, let's push you on this a little bit. I mean, they're, they're, we, we hardly live in a time where people write letters, but people used to write the most unbelievable letters to each other, which in which, as it were, the exposure of themselves was an extraordinary. Uh, emotionally mm. and uh, self-consciously, mm. and, and telling the other about how they feel, and so on. And these exchanges of letters would have been extraordinary moments for these people, mm. and, and yet they would have been moments apart in, in, the, in, the, in the physical sense. Mm. Um, I mean, is it, is it simply we just can't survive on that alone I suppose ultimately mm.
1: I mean I, when you were talking about I was reminded of uh, Charles Dickens I was just looking at Claire Tomlin's biography of Charles Dickens and um, she describes this extraordinary moment where Charles Dickens sort of soulmate mate um, I forget his name but uh, they had been apart for about six months um, and they'd been sort of exchange of uh, an 18th, 19th century phenomenon of sort of romantic friendship where these very very emot- emotive expressions of affection and, and love for people of the same sex would have been exchanged. Um, and yet, when they, six months apart, and Charles Dickens' carriage, as it were, draws up outside this chap's house, he runs out of the house, runs into the carriage, pulls down the blinds, and they just want to be alone together. They need to, um, you know, kind of, uh, it, they still, they were longing to be back together again, yeah. even though they had these wonderful exchanges of letters, too.
0: OK, uh, we're, we're up here, yeah.
4: Um, I was just wondering what your opinion was on um, family members as friends, and not just necessarily siblings, as was mentioned earlier. But maybe um, you know, aunts, uncles, second cousins, grandparents. To what category of friendship do they fall? Um, you know, just thinking about a sibling, for example, you can sit next to on the couch, do nothing, and that's that kind of comfortable friendship you were mentioning. But at the same time, you may not share any interests. You may not even like them. <laughs> um, but there's still that connection there. I'm just wondering what you thought about mm. family and friendship and how that Well, uh, again, it's
1: an old question. Aristotle himself asked, you know, can a father be a friend with his son? Which perhaps is a bit the equivalent of can a mother be a friend with their daughter, which is the more sort of modern way of putting it. But uh, um, it's ju- it's the, the quick answer is, hmm... And um, uh, I guess you know, you might be able to sit on the sofa with your sibling, not because of any friendship, but just because you somehow both know that you belong. And even if you hate your sibling, you kind of both belong in that mutual hatred, if you like. Um, So you've both got a place on the sofa um, because of being a family member. Um, You may not, of course, too. Um, And I think there is, you know, it is, I always feel a bit uneasy. I don't know how you feel, but I always feel a bit uneasy when. You know, maybe uh, someone's interviewed after an awful tragedy where they've lost a child, perhaps, and it's, it seems to be a sort of default way of expressing that loss—to talk about, you know, she was my daughter, was my best friend—and um, I think that there's something. Um, the word "friend" is being used um, to express something of a profound connection, but whether it was really friendship uh, in the cool light of day, you know, w- would be another question to ask, I guess. Um, But but there's something about the word friend that can carry the weight of that loss um, in that moment. Whereas perhaps, um, you know, maybe they never thought of each other as friends when they were alive. (laughs) Um, Or maybe the mother thought the daughter was, but the daughter never thought the mother was. Or who knows, you know, um, it's much more complicated, perhaps.
0: There's something something interesting there. You talk about um, that the word can do service for for relationships which perhaps aren't mm. friend relationships. I, I was reminded when you were saying that of uh, a remark in Wittgenstein where he says that he feels he's, he's, writing, he's in England and he doesn't really get on very well with English people and uh, he doesn't have around him friends and he doesn't really have around him people who he thinks are spiritually connected to the kind of work he's doing. And so he ends up saying, so I'm writing for friends who are scattered all over the world. Mm, mm. And, and he literally thinks of that word as picking out the kind of relationship he has to people he never meets, never knows, mm. uh, won't meet, <laughs> and, so, and who are completely scattered and distant. But they're, they're, they're picked out as friends. Yeah. Which is
1: well, I mean, with this, there's something about you know the two souls meeting in the common task, which... Wittgenstein believes he's pursued in, but he feels he's doing it alone, but he hopes there'll be someone else who would close right. his friend in that common task. Right, good, good,
0: yeah. thank you. Uh, where are we? Who's, yeah, uh, up there in the middle.
2: Um, I was just wondering if you think that in some sense our identity is at stake in friendship, and what the consequences of that are for the kind of cognitive nature of friendship, whether it's basically a relationship of knowledge, maybe self-knowledge, or whether it's more to do with the imaginary uh, in that, in some sense, who we are is, is imaginary.
1: Very interesting question. Uh, when you were talking, I, I was... The,
0: the question is whether uh, the... what you discover about yourself or the other in friendship is a relation of knowledge, knowing the other, or in some way constructing and imaginatively producing yourself in that relation.
2: Mm.
1: Well, just when you were talking about is your identity at stake, um, it reminds me of Shakespeare's remark, which is that most friendship is feigning. Um, and I think what he was talking about there is that um, it's, quite, it's sort of a bit related to Nietzsche's ideas, actually, that um, uh, a lot of the time is it where we don't say say what we're really thinking. Um, we kind of hold back, and we do for our friends' sake as well as for our own sake. Maybe we don't really quite know what we're thinking, and it would be a pain for them to know all the time what we're thinking too. So we tell you know there's lots of illusions and white lies, and you know, you know. So you just spent you just met your best friend's um, new partner, and you hate them. Do you tell your new partner, you know, that, that you think they've made an awful choice? You might do eventually, but probably not straight away. Or you think your best friend's children are awfully behaved, um, but you say how lovely they are. Um, these kind of, uh, these kinds of uh, feignings that go on in friendship. For the sake of the friendship, so it's, it sounds like it's a bad thing, but it is actually for the sake of the ongoing friendship. Um, now, the business about fantasy and so on is very fascinating. And uh, I guess, I mean, I'm just thinking off the top of my head and uh, maybe there would be a sense, part of the reason why you need a friend to become what you might be is that, as it were, with a friend, um, you sort of uh, you imagine what's possible and then together reality comes to meet you too. And you actually are able to step into a fuller reality because of the the, halluc- the, the imaginative uh, bit to start with. Yeah, Maybe that's part of what happens when... You are able to climb the, 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 the rungs, the ladder of life together. Um, it is both a, an imaginative task that then has to meet reality in some way too. Um, maybe something like that goes on. I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, of Donald Winnicott actually who writes about this in relation to the, the young child and that uh, the infant um, has to hallucinate um, uh, what they might be in order that they can own it so it comes from them, but then they have to also meet reality so it can land somewhere as well. Um, so it becomes real and not just a pure fantasy, if you like. Um, but so that we can own ourselves as well as take part in life, maybe that's partly what friendship helps us do. Um, that's a, just the thought off the top of my head,
0: yeah. Okay, we've got time for one more. Okay, yeah, up at the back.
2: I wonder if you might like to expand more on the idea of animal friendship with human beings. Uh, four years ago, I had a rodent problem, and I got Julie the cat, and she sorted the problem out, but she worked her way into our five affections, totally. She's a totally dominating cat. She rules me entirely. She follows me everywhere. I think a lot of the problem with this is because of course, is the fact that I'm on my own, so she's only relating to one human being. and There's only one cat, so I'm only relating <laughs> to one cat. So there's a very close bond between the two of us. Which is amazingly intuitive. I mean, if I'm not feeling unhappy or something, she'll come and see, she'll seek me out. It's lots of lots of lick 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 lick, lick, lick purr, pur. The other thing about animal relationships: what about the situation with a guide dog and its blind owner? That is a tremendously strong bond. Thank you. What's your views? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm very
1: serious about relationships with pets because I, like you, I'm deeply attached to my pets and uh, I have to own up about that almost to myself. Um, but whether friendship is the right word, that's what I'm not sure. Um, there are other deep forms of connection that aren't friendship. And I, I suppose at the end of the day, I come down on the idea that um, there's a deep connection, um, but friendship is not really quite the right word. Um, now, that's with cats. You know, Some people say that dogs... Have more empathic capabilities for example, so maybe that would be different there um, if you're into higher primates you know maybe you want to think of something different again um, but I think it's always worth in relationships generally you know thinking about having a broad expansive uh, um, way of thinking about them so that you understand the thing for what it is rather than for something else that then all sorts of com- confusions can arise um, so I actually, I'm with you, I take very seriously relationships with animals, but just not quite sure that friendship is the word.
0: I, I'm, I think I'm more on your side. I think it is a friendship, and I think it's because of this thing we were talking about earlier, about uh, the singularity of the other, which is really the crucial figure for me of the friend, is that they're this unreplaceable one, and the, the, the fact about our lives is that they're finite, and your cat, like you, are, is a finite being. And uh, your relation to it will be informed by, by your knowledge that it will one day not be, that, it, that it's a relation to a finite creature which will die. And uh, I think friendship um, is built around that relation of, 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 the, of these two singularities. But that's, that's my view on it.
1: I mean, I take the point, but also you know, there is a sense of when your cat dies, you might buy another one.
0: Uh, and
1: you'll remember the old cat, but the new cat, you know, would will be, will be rather wonderful too. Whereas if I said, when my friend dies, I'll just get another one, that would seem to be really harmless. So I'm not sure about the fungibility of cats. But anyway. Okay, well, on that
0: lovely note, we will finish it. let uh, thank Mark thank very much.